0: Welcome to Put Your Heart Into It, the HVC podcast centered around educating providers and staff about common clinical scenarios so that we can better treat our patients. Podcasts on this account are meant for educational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for medical diagnoses or advice. If you have any clinical symptoms or medical questions, please consult a licensed healthcare provider.
1: Let's get started on this month's podcast.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Put Your Heart Into It. Today, we are excited to have two HVC physicians join us to discuss differentials for NSTEMI. Let's kick it off with Dr. Kola Kalaputi and Dr. Buntain. Hey, thank you so much for having me here, Dr. K.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. Adam Buntain here. Uh, We're happy to uh, get together this morning and discuss a case that we were jointly involved in, um, a few months ago that that we think is um, actually fairly common and an under-recognized sort of clinical scenario, um, but still an important one to discuss um, and so we'll we'll take you guys through this case um, from beginning to end and have a good discussion about it
0: yeah. I know we probably see this more often than not, but we never really pause to think about it, what it could actually be, so I thought this was a good moment to catch up on. So I'll start off with the case. We have a a 76-year-old African-American male with history of hypertension, unfortunately diagnosed with renal cell carcinoma. He had a right nephrectomy and was currently on oral chemotherapeutic agent Valversa or or Urtenafib. He also had a history of pulmonary embolism, and he was currently on eloquence. So he comes in with chest pain about an hour prior to arrival with minimal walking in his house, uh, pain radiated down to both arms, with severe tightness in his chest. Initial EKG in the emergency room felt to be an in inferior posterior MI, and so the on-call uh, interventional cardiologist was called, but deferred as his initial troponin was negative and subsequent ECGs did not have those ST elevation. Um, so we were called for consultation for admission. By the time I had seen him, his chest pain was resolved. Um, EKG, again, as we mentioned. and He also had a CT, which ruled out another pulmonary embolism. But I did notice some coronary calcifications were seen. So we admitted him with had started him on heparin because his troponin did bump up slightly um, to 0.1. So with plans to either do a stress test in the morning or with the trend of troponins, probably consider... left heart catheterization. So Adam?
1: Yeah and and I think at this point we were probably, um, we probably felt um, fairly confident that this was a quote-unquote garden variety MI acute coronary syndrome type scenario. You know he presented with a pretty classical story. He did have those ischemic EKG changes initially um, mm-hmm. So despite First the fact, factors
0: were present, yeah, yeah.
1: he had a risk factors. So I, I think, you know, we were, we were thinking this would be, um, you know, somewhat of a, a standard cardiology admission in case for non, non STEMI. And, and of course it, it may not turn out to be that we, we, we <laughs> shall see. Um, so, um, we did ultimately take him to the cardiac cath. That was the next morning. Um, and, that was um, after his troponin had risen pretty significantly, if I'm not mistaken, right? Even by the next morning, I think it had gone up.
0: Yeah, I think the highest I saw. That's why we canceled the stress test and we called you for a consult for heart catheterization.
1: That's right. So, so by the next morning around 9 o'clock um, um, in discussion with Pavani, we decided to, to perform a left heart catheterization. So I took him to the cardiac cath lab um, and um, did a coronary angiogram. Um, to see what may be the the culprit for this myocardial infarction and uh, the results are are somewhat surprising to me or were somewhat surprising to me at the time and that is that uh, I did not find any obstructive plaque in the coronary arteries so as Pavani said from the CT scan there was some mild to moderate coronary calcification present um, but there was no obstructive disease in any of the three major coronary arteries. So um, in the end, I called a 20% plaque in the left main, um, just very mild irregularities in the LAD, um, a, a 20% proximal circumflex stenosis, um, and, and some very small vessel disease of an obtuse marginal branch mm-hmm. of the circumflex, um, and, and likewise, some two different 20% stenoses of the right coronary artery. So really nothing there, no um, epicardial plaque rupture thrombosis event that could explain a, a big chest pain episode, ischemic EKG changes, troponin elevation to seven. Um, and so the diagnosis at this point, based on that angiogram finding, was uh, a myocardial infarction with non-obstructive coronary arteries, the uh, the entity known as Minoca. And and that's, I think, where we want to dive into the, the differential diagnosis of what what might be causing that and, and how we can further evaluate that. So I'll turn it back over to you.
0: Sure. So I was kind of excited to have that um, as a mal- <laughs> cardiologist kind of thrown back at it, hey, what else could it be? Yeah, me, me
1: not so much, (laughs) Uh, us us interventionalists, we just, we want to find a blockage and put a stent in there. So I was dismayed at at the diagnosis perhaps.
0: (laughs) So as you mentioned, Minoka has, um, it actually occurs quite often. I think the sweetheart data is kind of where if anybody wants to go back and, and look up that, this is where most of our data comes from in which is myocardial infarction without obstructive coronary um, atherosclerosis. And that happens about five to six percent of um, cats. And the definition is very kind of strict, less than 50% of stenosis, just like our patient had. And it follows the fourth universal definition of MI, which is that Rise and uh, fall in troponin greater than the 99th percentile, and no other clinical evidence of why that troponin is positive. No evidence of myocarditis. No big PE that could explain those findings. Um, So go back to the drawing board. What could be the potential causes of it? Again, myocarditis is considered to be could be one of them, but we have to kind of essentially rule it out. Plaque rupture, plaque erosion. Um, situ thrombosis, SCAD or spontaneous coronary artery dissection, simple supply demand mismatch, um, epicardial coronary vasospasm, and microvascular dysfunction. From the data, MINOCA can tend to affect disproportionately women and also African American patients. That's something you want to kind of have as a differential. Um, so what do we do next? Is we of course have an imaging person now, so we recommend to do a cardiac MRI, and that showed actually. Um, actually, let me just first talk about the echocardiogram in the middle of this. The echocardiogram had normal ejection fraction, 60-65%, no wall motion abnormalities, mild valvular dysfunction, but nothing could say this could be a possible myocarditis. The pericardium was normal. Um so all of that was kind of excluded.
1: So so with the cardiac MRI, Pavani, so you know it's a it's an advanced cardiac imaging test, and, and among those different potential diagnoses, um like before you go into the details of the results, what what exactly might you see to help clarify between some of those various diagnoses that you just mentioned?
0: So I think a lot of it could be Um, pattern recognition, you know, I'm looking for, is there a acute infarct? Is there a regional wall motion abnormality on the echocardiogram or on the MRI that the echo did not pick up? Um, myocarditis would be kind of a diffuse fibrosis that you would see, um, or just edema, you know, any signs of kind of, on some of the gating uh, factors, is there different edema, high density signal to say there's necrosis, there's infarction or nothing at all sometimes too. Um, that's kind of what I'm, I'm looking for to help me guide, well, which one of those differentials could it really be? Yeah. And I was really kind of thinking about myocarditis in him because of that chemotherapy agent he's on. It's a checkpoint um, inhibitor to so tyrosine kinase. And that's actually been shown to cause myocarditis. That's kind of on a big differential for me going in to look for that. Um, Thankfully, you know, with these newer class of chemotherapy agent, cardiac involvement, whether it be myocarditis or heart dysfunction is rare, Um, but mortality is very high when it does happen. So it's good to keep that as a differential, especially in our particular patient. So going back to the MRI results, um, so it called for a, again, normal ejection fraction, 58% this time. Uh, transmural infarction involves involving the basal to mid uh, and um ventricular wall with evidence of possible microvascular obstruction. And not, not much else to suggest um, any kind of myocarditis because it was kind of localized and, uh, lots of involvement in the distal inferior wall uh, to suggest maybe he's had a smaller MI.
1: Yeah, so when I hear that result, the, especially the um, specific term transmural, that always for me, um, and I'm not an imaging person, but that evokes um, uh, sort of more of a classical heart attack, a transmural involvement, mm-hmm. um, meaning that the whole left ventricular wall from endocardium to epicardium was affected. Um, but then on the read, as you said, there's also the comment about uh, microvascular uh, evidence for microvascular. So how, how do you square those two? The, the transmural? You know, is it is it a true stemmy of a vessel that that wasn't just visible on the calf because it was too small or or is it is it microvascular um, type of an issue based on? The findings there? What's your thinking?
0: So I think easiest way to determine that is the wall thickness. It did not mention a thinned out myocardium and it did not, um, you know, mention any regional wall motion abnormalities, which would suggest from an infarcted um, myocardium. You know, this was a normal function mm-hmm with a normal size myocardium. So that kind of tells me it's something more acute and not necessarily transmural MI. Okay. Um, also, the description of why they said, and we'll link some of these pictures to the podcast so our, our audience can go back and look at them. But the gentleman had a transmural infarction but had kind of a, a rim of um, hypo-intensity around that to suggest microvascular obstruction and and also could sometimes be also, um, capillary hemorrhage leak from the infarct and from the insult. So that's kind of classic. And that's probably why we were comfortable saying this was probably a Minoka microvascular obstruction in his case could still be from some sort of a plaque rupture or plaque erosion that he might've had to explain that high um, but it is kind of interesting how the EKG initially kind of correlated with the location that he had. So I'm really strongly suspicious it's probably some sort of plaque erosion or plaque rupture.
1: I see. Yeah, and, and that, you know, it, it still could square with the cath results. You know, right. we're, we're we're working with the, uh, the assumption that, um, you know, the yeah. arteries are just, you know, quote unquote normal. They just have okay. minimal plaque. Um, but you you really can't tell the whole story from a coronary angiogram. Mm-hmm. And so, um, as you know, in, in a lot of the early clinical studies of Minoka, there was a lot of intravascular imaging utilized mm-hmm. um, to actually look within the lumen of the vessel and look at the wall of each of the vessels. Oh, yeah,
0: that- OCT and IVIS, can you talk more about those in the cath lab that you would have,
1: yeah, so optical coherence tomography is OCT, is an advanced intravascular imaging modality that we have available at, at our um, hospitals we practice at. And it's um, it's a means of um, examining in, in fine resolution um, the walls of the vessel. Mm-hmm. And so in clinical practice, uh, personally, I would use it for PCI optimization, vessel size, um, querying vessels for dissection mm-hmm. um, or um, types of plaque, degree of calcification, things like that. In my view, it's a bit impractical for a case like this, because mm-hmm. what, what you have on the angio is just simply three mostly normal vessels. So, so it would require doing OCT images of all three vessels, which are, you know two or three runs per vessel um, it requires a lot of contrast dye load to be able to do that um, and it, it requires time as well to be able to do that you know you're switching equipment out switching guides so it, i think it in a case like this might pose some undue risk of, of contrast induced nephropathy or things like that but that being said as i understand it this was um a fairly um standardized evaluation of Minoca cases in the clinical trials mm-hmm. right i mean yes. so if, if someone like ours a patient was presented with this mi yeah. and was enrolled in this study would it have been you know three vessel oct would I that mean, would yes, that have been exactly
0: the, that's kind of what they yeah what they did and what they encouraged to do if you're suspecting it but it's good to as someone not being in the cath lab, I didn't realize how much contrast load that is for a patient. Yeah, so that that is pretty risky.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a you know, it's about ten cc's per injection. I think to to do the whole coronary tree, you're probably mm-hmm. talking six to nine mm-hmm. runs. Um, so that's you know, potentially ninety more cc's of contrast above what you are uh, were already planning and to another use.
0: Another question about that too is how do you do, how do you use IBIS, which is OCT, or does that matter in this kind of a case?
1: Um, Well, yeah, so um, IVUS is intravascular ultrasound, and OCT is is optical. Um, OCT has certain advantages, which are that it has finer spatial resolution, so you can see smaller things better. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a little bit more arduous as far as equipment setup, time, time contrast, so the advantage of IBIS is it's ultrasound, so no contrast is oh, needed God. to obtain IBIS images. So, in my standard practice, and I think I think most of the interventionalists, IBIS is the, the bread and butter intravascular imaging, and we use it um, almost um, every single PCI case for stent optimization, stent sizing, uh, rule out stent mm-hmm. edge dissections, mm-hmm. things like that. I would say, at this point, in greater than 90% of our PCI cases, we're using IBIS. Okay. OCT, I use sparingly if I think for some reason or other IBIS is not going to be able to get a give a high-quality image, and I need an even finer yeah. detail. So I, I do think going back to the case, you know, for Minoka, Ivis probably wouldn't be enough. You probably, you'd probably miss some. some some slight erosion or slight, you know, minimal plaque rupture that's healed, or exactly. things like didn't that.
0: didn't have the physiology for this, so it makes sense.
1: Yeah, so so no, I didn't do OCT, and and honestly, I don't know that that any practicing cardiologist would would have done OCT in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe it could have been useful. So I, maybe it's a good time to talk about like what what are those things that OCT could have found, and like how would that have changed the management potentially? Yeah.
0: It's a good thing you don't have imagers doing cats. <laughs> that would have been a long, long cat for this gentleman. <laughs> um, so I think that we talked about this after the MRI findings also came out. Um, we decided to treat the gentleman like an NSTEMI. Um, we, obviously statin is called for high intensity statin, um, high potency statin to decrease recurrence. And that's actually one of the problematics, um, you know, even though the incidence is low for this, Minoca recurrence and comorbidity from it is really high. So I think that prevention is really important. So we start on a statin. Do you want to talk about antiplatelet therapy management?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a tricky question. Um, You know, it's it's certainly standard to use dual antiplatelet therapy with aspirin and a P2Y12 inhibitor for um, a quote unquote normal non-STEMI PCI procedure and even for um, a non-STEMI due to plaque rupture that's treated medically it would be standard of care to use mm-hmm. dual antiplatelet therapy Correct. with aspirin and a, a P2I12 inhibitor. In a case of Minoka, I, I think it's more debatable as to whether mm-hmm. one ought to use dual antiplatelet therapy. And so as is always the case, you have to weigh the risks right. and benefits of, of any sort of situation. Um, and this gentleman uh, from his malignancy and chemotherapy was, was significantly anemic. Um, already on Eloquist. Already on Eloquist for his history of PE. And, and so certainly we felt the risk would outweigh the benefit of adding a, a second antiplatelet uh, agent, particularly since um, the angiogram did not show any suspected. Um, epicardial large vessel plaque mm-hmm. rupture events so so in the end his anti-thrombotic regimen was Eliquis, as you said for his history of dbtpe with malignancy plus uh, aspirin 81 once a day is, is what we put him on and then um, high potency statin as you said we also treated him with um, standard beta blocker and arb um, post mi um, as should be the case to to reduce infarct size, mm-hmm. allow, allow healing of that wall that, that may have suffered a, a microvascular event. So um, yeah, I think that's that's the case there, you oh, know. So just, one of the
0: last things I kind of wanted to mention was that um, if you have access to an MRI, I think we were fortunate enough to have that, get the MRI as soon as you can, because I think the, the studies recommend within uh, seven days but at least after 24 hours of the initial incident that's kind of like the peak time for us to see truly the uh, scope of myocardial necrosis that could be picked up from MRI so um, just keep that on your mind you know try to get it as, as soon as you can um, if your diagnosis of NSTEMI is not clear from an angiogram. Yeah
1: absolutely that makes perfect sense so yeah that was just a, a you know Interesting case that we both had encountered and, and uh, enjoyed working on jointly because it was a little trickier than, than yeah. the standard one. And it got uh, Pavani excited because it was a Minoka case. So she always, she always likes uh, one like that. Um, but, um,
0: and just a lot of, lots of stuff going on. So just keep your eyes peeled, keep your ears open to, you know, the kind of medications the patients are on these days. If they, if they are undergoing active chemotherapy something does not make sense on the angiogram, you know, look into the differentials of this, what it could be. So that could actually, you know, change this person's overall outcome in the end. Definitely,
1: Definitely. Thank you, Adam. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for talking this morning. Great case. Thanks for listening. Tune in
0: next time for another cardiology focused episode.